Hey, Knowles, welcome to Front Row. Knowles, as always, a big shout out to Seminole Boosters, longtime supporter of this program. Thank you to those of you who are Seminole Boosters and supporting Florida State Athletics. We are excited for the new year. Annual fund, Bowden Society, Coaches Club, all almost to goal. So if you haven't stepped up already, I invite you to do so. And again, thanks to, to Seminole Boosters for supporting Front Row Knowles. With that said, and without further ado, here's this week's show. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How about you, Thomas? I'm excited. We've got a big game this week. Big game this week. On a little paper, bit more of a buzz. On paper and based on rankings and based on metrics, uh, this is a, a top 20, top 16 showdown. The only problem is Florida State's never lost to Duke, so I'm not sure anybody appreciates the 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 possibility that duke could come in here and win but you better pay attention to it because they're pretty daggum good yeah and we'll talk about that in great detail with kurt weiler in our next couple of segments uh this is a very good duke team it's not just that fsu's never lost keith Uh, the entire history they they really have not even played close games against duke jimbo's last year fsu won 17 to 10 in durham and that's the closest game everything else has been around including the two times these teams have squared off when both teams were ranked in the top 20, one of them being 1994 when Duke came in unbeaten to Doe Campbell and Florida State won 40-something to seven, and the other being in 2013 in the ACC championship game when Florida State was en route to a national title and won 45-7. to seven. So we do have to throw that out and pay attention to what we're going to talk about over the next hour because this is a, a coach that Florida State has not faced who's a really good one. And it's just a very veteran. It's it's Wake Forest in Duke uniforms, only and, better, and, I think. Well, and better because they they can throw the ball. Uh, depending on which quarterback you have, they may choose not to throw the ball. But uh, fortunately, we don't have to put up with that slow mesh stuff like Wake Forest. They do at least do things conventionally. Does Duke? How do you think? FSU's defense will match up against. Let's let's go with Riley Leonard is in there and he's 100% healthy, which I, I can't see how that's the case, but let's make that assumption. As, and that's what Adam Fuller and company have to do as they prepare. Uh, Tom, uh, you know, uh, you and I talked on our podcast after the game. You got a little annoyed with me when I was not as high on Florida State's defense as would be. I wasn't annoyed, Keith. I just disagreed with you. That's not annoyed. You need to go back to school, Tommy. I need to get you a Webster's Dictionary. I think they're pretty close. But beside that point, I think this defense looked at how they played last time out, and they're not happy with themselves. In other words, they, the defensive unit, knows they've got a big upside. I'm not going to be surprised at all if Florida State's defense doesn't perform really, really well. My concern is Florida State's offense scoring points against this Duke defense. Well, and this is where we've been waiting for that complete game, right? We want them to throw nine innings. There's no such thing as a complete game in pro baseball anymore, right? So right. why do we expect one in, in football where everybody's going to punt at some point? 
I do feel like Mike Norvell has been really good in his biggest games. And I think that they will have a very good offensive uh, plan here. Let's just hope that everybody is dialed in on it there because there's, there have been mistakes from different parts and pieces. Jordan has, has borne the, the brunt of that. And I don't know that, that some of the inconsistencies are really on him so much as the guys around him. It goes Agreed. with being the quarterback. Agreed. Uh, obviously, you got Wilson coming back. You got Bless coming back. I mean, you you should be at full strength or close to full strength uh, in Game Seven, which is a little bit unusual. You get to this part of the season, you're expected to be missing some pieces and some parts. Um, so, if there is on paper an opportunity for Florida State to shine, uh, this would be it. But again, I go back to my prior comment. We'll talk more with Kurt about this. I don't think our fans, Florida State fans, have any appreciation with how good this Duke defensive is, defense is, at least through six games, and the and the matchup problems that they face and, and pose. Uh, Coach Norvell talked about, I've never heard this before, Tommy. He mentioned it. They rotate 10 defensive linemen. I mean, I know you want to rotate seven, you want to rotate eight, but he said they rotate 10 defensive linemen. And most of them get about the same number of snaps. That's that's some depth. Well, that's even more than FSU. FSU's had you know four at the defensive end spot and five in the interior, so they're rotating nine. But right, who would have thought that Duke's got more depth and is doing it even more than than FSU? We'll dive deeper into this. Kurt Weiler, our Osceola insider, will join us next, and uh, we'll continue with Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Big week for Florida State. And if it's a big week, that means we've got our Osceola insider joining us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. The Earl Bacon Agency. Ensuring your future together. We say hello to Kurt Weiler from the Osceola. How are you, Kurt? I'm doing well. I just said it's a big week for FSU. It's FSU Duke week, and it's not basketball season. See, if you live long enough, you get to weeks where FSU Duke is a big week. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's it's something. I mean, it, 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 Duke obviously will always talk about Duke never beaten Florida State in football, but this does feel like one of the better Duke teams that has uh, has come into a game against Florida State for sure. Dude, Mike Elko has got uh, quite a squad behind him. It's one of the odd uh, statistical things. Uh, that that you mentioned, I'll just reinforce. Uh, FSU has never lost to Duke, nineteen and zero. Yep. Uh, but I'm telling you guys, I've, I've watched a little tape. Not that I have access to coaches' reels and that type of thing, but it's it pains me to say this, but this Duke football team is for real. This is this is this is Wake Forest ten years ago when we were doubting whether Wake Forest could ever win. Really. And they proved us wrong. Duke may do the same. Well, I don't know if you intentionally or unintentionally made that connection, but I mean, Mike Elko came up through the Dave Fawson tree, right? So right. there's a lot, of, a lot of similarities there. I mean, we think he's been at Texas A&M and Notre Dame, so he's been at big schools lately. But really, if you look at where he cut his teeth, it was Bowling Green and, and Wake Forest and whatnot. Uh, and Richmond with Adam Fuller. Yeah, that was even earlier than that. Where was that? Hofter or something or Fordham Richmond. or Richmond, Richmond? I think in 2005. I was yeah, like a freshman get... in high school. I, well, thanks for bringing that up. We'll, we'll edit that out of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> we'll get into this, Keith. I agree with your sentiment that this is a really good Duke team. I just want to share that 
uh, I guess because I have too much time on my hands, I listened to not one but two Duke podcasts on Tuesday. And and one of them, the sentiment from the two, and I don't know who they were, so I have no idea if this is actual credible media that go to the games or if they're just sitting around drinking beers and they watch Duke football. I don't know. But the first one I listened to, the consensus was basically they should sit Riley Leonard and anybody else who's got a nagging injury, basically not worry about this week and get ready for Louisville in the rest of the season. Then I listened to the next one that had three guys, and every one of them picked – they talked about the quarterback, came to the conclusion it doesn't matter whether it's Riley or the kid who would be making his second career start, and all three of them picked Duke to beat FSU. And I thought, okay, so it's either a lot of Kool-Aid or it's a really good Duke football team or it's somewhere in the middle there. I just thought that was an interesting backdrop on that. Um, Keith, your point, I guess defense is where we need to start, Kurt. I, I knew they were good on defense. I didn't realize they were allowing less than 10 points per game and were number two nationally in pass efficiency defense and some other oh, red zone defense, red zone defense. Yep. So that those two stuck out at me. So obviously they're not just good. They're pretty damn good at defense. Yeah, I think I, about your podcast, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. This is not a game Duke should punt. This is a game Duke has a chance of winning. I'm not going to go so far, I don't think, as as to pick Duke. But yeah, I think uh, truthfully, this is probably, I mean, the – the 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 toughest test secondary wise that Florida State's passing game may may face all season. I think I mean that wasn't the strength of Clemson's defense. Obviously, hindsight's proven that LSU's secondary wasn't that wasn't that good. But I think when you look at what's left in the regular season, I do think this is the best uh, secondary they're going to face. And so I mean, if they're able to get Johnny back, which seems like they might might be on track after he practiced Sunday and practice again today, and and with the the form Keon's in and some other guys as well. Uh, that could be quite a good on good matchup Saturday night in Doak. The, the the stat and you referenced it, Tom, that really jumped out at me though, guys. They've they've played six ball games, lest I counted, and they're yeah. giving up less than ten points a game, which is unheard of in today's environment. Uh, that's doing something very well. It something's got to give from a standpoint of I think what Florida State scored thirty points in twelve straight games. Right, Duke's allowed more than more than seven twice this year. And right. I think one of them was a late touchdown a game. They were over the, the only team that's broken 20 against them was Notre Dame. And they had to convert that long, crazy fourth down to get that touchdown to win that game. I mean, Duke's uh, a fourth down stop away for being six and oh, and not having allowed 20 points this season. So let's, I mentioned the defense and we'll come back to that. Let's start with the quarterback question. I mean, we don't know the health of Riley Leonard, but it would strike me that even if he's able to play, he's not going to be nearly what, he brings to the table when he's completely healthy. Now, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that, but he didn't play last week. If he's spending eight hours a day in the training room, how much time is he spending watching tape and or go practicing right now? I don't know. I'm a little skeptical that he, I, I could see him playing from the standpoint that he's a veteran and he wouldn't be awed by 80,000 at Dope Campbell compared to the other team. But if he can't move around at all, I'm not sure that's the best decision. What do you guys think? I think that's absolutely right. I think there's a world where maybe he could stand back there, but his legs are absolutely, I mean, a major part of his game. And if he's unable to do that, which what? Three weeks removed from a high ankle sprain. They say that timeline's normally four to six. So three would be ahead of, of schedule this weekend, kind of ahead of the best case scenario. And I just it's hard to imagine him being mobile enough that he's the the best option. I mean, obviously his backup was pretty interesting. I think it was what, four of 12 against NC State? 
but two of those were touchdowns. One was a long touchdown, and they won 28-3. to So uh, I, I'm curious. Obviously, things won't be, I don't think, as easy uh, against Florida State as they were at home against NC State. But uh, he showed enough where I think uh, you have to think he's the better option unless there comes something really surprising happens with Riley Leonard's recovery. The other part that Coach Elko, their head coach, has done is, is I'm going to start calling Duke the BYU of the East. They've got multiple, I mean, multiple six-year players on this squad. And you used to never face teams with six-year guys other than BYU, who had the exception from the NCAA because of the the mandatory two-year missions that most of them went through. Uh, So these are kids that are 23, 24 years of age. Uh, We used to tease that when you played BYU, half the squad was married. I don't know how many of these Duke kids are married. But they're certainly older. And one of the things that that, uh, Coach Norvell talked specifically about in his Monday press conference is how well they play together. They may not have been the highest recruits. They may not have a a large number of people that are going to play in the NFL at the next level. But they know how to play football at the collegiate level, and they've been doing it for a while. The COVID effect, for sure. To your point, Keith, where they're really where that's really noticeable is at the line of scrimmage. And to me, that's I mean, Duke's got a a name brand quarterback, if you will, when when he's healthy. But they've had it before. But their offensive line is four graduate students and a senior, and they're which makes them the second most experienced offensive line in the country behind in terms of starts and games played behind only Florida State. And their defensive line returned all four starters from a year ago, and and combined those four guys have I think a hundred. It's not between 95 and 100 career combined starts. So that to me is what's different is they've got a defensive line that that can affect Florida State's offensive line and offense. And they've got an offensive line that is built to just wear you down. I mean, we threw the ball one time in the second half against NC State. How much of a slap in the face is that to the Wolfpack? I mean, if you're going through it once, why even bother? They might as well just completed the half saying, hey, we're just going to run it every play this half. But so, what, Kurt, what do you think about how Florida State matches up against – and it seems odd to ask it this way because I think the better way might – the more typical way would be how could D- Duke's lines match up against Florida State's? But I'm posing it to you the other way. How does Florida State match up against those lines? Yeah, I mean, I think you you, you look at it. I think Duke's top ten nationally in, in yards per carry against FCS op- – or FBS opponents, rather. I think – I mean, they've, they've established their will. They are definitely – I mean, I think running – to passing, whereas maybe Florida State flips that and passes more to set up the run. But that the the run game and with that experience line with Riley Leonard, who I know is kind of you said they might not have an NFL talent. No, he's kind of viewed as an NFL talent when you look at his size and, and what he can do. And uh I think the just that run game is uh, is gonna be a real test for Florida State. I mean I think Duke's gonna try and wear them down. Duke's obviously gonna want long drives. Duke's gonna want to keep the defense on the field because they want to keep Florida State offense off the field and and, uh, on the other side i mean i think you look at the other side of the trenches i think that is one area where it's funny this might not be the passing game as we've talked about because i think clemson and notre dame both ran for over 150 and average like i think notre dame was right under five yards of carry and clemson was over five yards of carry so especially with with the traction florida state's gotten going finally in the run game it feels like that may be more florida state's offensive path to victory if you follow the statistics and if, if you look at, at what they tell you, 
this is a game that Florida State's going to have to have success in the rushing attack. Uh, because I agree with you. I think the secondary for Duke is as good as anybody's. And you're you're playing with with uh, dynamite if you go into the ball game saying we're going to pass first and then run. Fortunately, again, Kurt, echoing what you've said, Florida State over the last two or three ball games has kind of rediscovered that running attack. But if FSU can't be successful on the ground, this is going to be. I'm, I was going to say it's going to be a long game. It's not going to be a long game. This is going to be a quick game because both teams like to run the ball but it's going to be a very uh, uncomfortable short game for Florida State on Saturday night. Yeah, I, I do wonder. I mean, I think as great as Duke was, and, I mean, they, were, they beat Clemson handily. The, the stats a bit misleading. Kind of, I, The stats would say that's a more balanced game, and Clemson fumbled, what, three times inside the 10-yard line. There was some weirdness to that game that obviously boosts the, red, the Duke red zone stats. But both that Clemson game and Notre Dame game, we're at home. I mean, this is, it feels like the the first atmosphere like like a Dope Campbell Stadium that maybe they've played in in Elko's tenure. I mean, because nine and three last year, but not not the toughest schedule. And I think Doke's a, a ramp up from a lot of places. So it will be interesting, I think, too, how, how Duke handles that. It could be a game where Florida State can get ahead early and it can get, keep Doke loud would make a big deal. To your point, Kurt, the biggest crowd Duke's played in front of this year is smaller than the smallest crowd FSU's played in front of. It was 40,000 when they played at UConn, which is their only road game out of six games. And FSU had 42,000. Well, I don't know if there were 42,000 there. That's what Boston College listed there, it There at. were not. I was there. There because, were not. I didn't watch the UConn-Duke tape either. I'm going to guess there probably weren't 40,000 at this game, right? So probably we'll, not. We'll go with, we'll go with but, the math being equally on. Do you let – me, let me ask this. Keith, you and I have had conversations. Everybody's looked at the defense – at times, and we just talked about it against Virginia Tech, like, man, they can't get them off the field. This, though, really feel, and I've talked about how, but the offense hasn't helped at times. They all, you know, the defense is out there eight plays, and then the offense goes three and punt. This one feels like, to me, it's on the offense. The offense needs to move the ball, get a lead, and then if the defense gives up an eight or a ten play drive, the offense just goes right back. It's not a Duke team that is built to come from behind, in my opinion. I don't, I don't want to sell them short, but they seem much more get a lead, pound it, punt, play defense, and do it again. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you're you're, you're dead on. I kind of wrote in my column last week after the Syracuse game. That game was never in doubt. But I think the, the offense kind of, and I haven't said this a lot during Mike Norvell's tenure, I think the offense owed a credit to the defense for how dominant they really were throughout that game, that when they, I mean, took over inside the 10 yard line and came away empty when they, the next possession got inside the 30 and, and came up empty. They kind of, again, the, the game was never really in danger, but they let that score be a lot closer than the game really was because of the missed opportunities. That's the kind of stuff you, you can't afford nearly as much in this game. And I wonder how it affects uh, Mike Norvell's decision-making with some of those, those analytics based things. Cause yeah, I, I agree with you. And you're going to have to be consistent because Duke is number one in the country excuse me, number two in the country, in fewest explosion plays. Yep. They've only given up five or six, maybe seven plays over 20 yards. They've only given up one play over 40 yards. They've given up no plays over 50 yards through six games. So you've got to, you've got to be good on first down. You've got to stay ahead of the chains. You know, you're not going to have 65-yard touchdown runs and 80-yard touchdown runs. You may get a 72-yard punt return. You may get that, but you're not going to have explosive plays 
at least according to the numbers, when you play this Duke defense. We've broken new ground here on Front Row Knowles, Keith. This is the first time we have ever given this significant analysis to a Florida State Duke football game. Let the rec even in 2013, when they met in the ACC championship game, of course, that year the team won 45 to nothing. It was it was half time the game was over, and that year it was 45-7, right? All right, we'll take a break, come back with more. Uh, Florida State and Duke, a big, big game coming up Saturday night under the lights at Doak Campbell. Front Row Knowles continues right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. So we're in agreement that uh, that the offense is going to be key. Let me ask you this now. I'm going to paint this with garnet gold glasses first, but the win against Clemson opened eyes, but that was a Clemson quarterback first game of the year, who really did not have a lot of starting experience and is still growing. Then they did get Sam Hartman, who's the opposite of that, but Notre Dame was missing two or – I think it's two top receivers, maybe three of their of their pass catchers. What, what I'm driving at is have they – Kurt, have they seen an offense that's close to what they're going to see in a quarterback in Jordan Travis and this FSU offense? Notre Dame would be the the main one, but yeah, like you said, I mean, if they were down two of their best receivers, I think Notre Dame's offensive line is very good, may, may probably maybe even better than Florida State's. I, I think their running backs are are as good, maybe even a little better than Florida State's. I think Sam Hartman is in the conversation. I think he's a very good quarterback, but if they're missing the receivers, then no. I think, I mean, those Clemson receivers don't especially scare you. I think they've kind of got a freshman who's playing more now who scares you a little more, Tyler Brown, but uh. Those Clemson receivers don't really scare you. Those Notre Dame receivers don't really scare you. I know NC State has one really good freshman, but receivers-wise, I mean, it, it is worth mentioning that as good as Duke's secondary has been, these are going to be the best receivers they probably play all year, maybe by a fairly wide margin. And so that that does create the maybe there is a, a, a ramp-up in difficulty that presents some challenges for Duke, and it shows not, not to say Duke's played a soft schedule because they haven't, but maybe that they've they've benefited from not playing the best wide receivers. And again, you mentioned it. This is just their second road game. And and trust me, fellas, uh, I played. It was a long time ago. Dinosaurs were roaming the earth. Uh, we had leather helmets with face masks. But um, it makes a difference when you're playing in a large, hostile environment, uh, in terms of communication, in terms of concentration, and that type of thing. And and to to say. That, that Duke is five and one and they've only played one road game. They haven't played in an environment like Florida States. And if Florida States fans, which we think we will show up, um, it will make things a little more difficult. It, it's sold out. It's a night game. Those often get intense. Yeah, this will be the best atmosphere we've seen this year at Doak. I mean, it'll be a really good atmosphere. Teams won 12 in a row overall. And uh, people haven't had the Southern Miss game. Doesn't, it was a night game, but it was not a game that, was ever going to be in question. So people will be ready for this one. Is Jordan still in the Heisman race, do you think? It's funny, we talked about this on, on our show Sunday night. Um, A lot would probably have to go right, I would say, for him to win the award right now. I think a big part of that is, I mean, he could still have a Heisman moment. But, like, you look at, I mean, LSU and Clemson being in the rearview mirror, I mean, those were two chances to kind of have those types of games. And I'm not sure he had those types of games, at least not relative to what some other guys have done, Drake May, Michael Penix, Bo Nix. I mean, I think they've they've put up gaudier numbers. 
I do think there's absolutely still a world where it could happen. A lot would have to break right. I would say what's more likely is if Florida State's sitting there at, what, 13-0 and after conference championship week, and he is the quarterback of that team who kind of played a big role, and he could easily be an invite, be a finalist. I'm just not sure – there's there's a very realistic path to uh, to him winning it at this point. And you know, guys, I, 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 other than Jameis and, and and Winky and Charlie, which are the three that Florida State had, you know, if you run the table and you put up reasonable numbers, the adage used to be it used to be that you would be the Heisman Trophy winner. It doesn't seem to work that way anymore. It's it's interesting. Yeah, well, no, I but think, I think it's world where he gets like a Stetson Bennett last year invite, you know, like a, a good quarterback who put up pretty good numbers for a team that went undefeated and is in the playoff. Well, I'd I'd love to see him get an invite. Uh you know who I'm I know Pooch is uh, you know, he's at the top of the list right now based on recency and last week. And well, not just recency, he's been really good, to be fair. Uh, it feels to me as crazy as it sounds because it's become a best player on the best team kind of award. It feels like if LSU beats Alabama, Jaden Daniels is going to win the Heisman trophy. If if LSU goes to the sec championship game, even if they're nine and three, certainly if they're 10 and two, and he's a, because he is putting absurd numbers every week and it's going to, what it already looks like is if, well, the FSU game was just an aberration. It's not any credit to FSU and what they did. It's just, oh, you know, he wasn't warmed up yet. And I, I Tommy, Tommy, let me interrupt. Let me interrupt, Tommy. You're showing your you're showing your bias. I I could not disagree with you more. Whoa, Daniels <laughs> is not in the race at all. This has nothing I to do with my is. life. He's Go averaging ahead, over 300 passing yards a game. He's got 22 touchdowns and I think two picks. He's he's. I think he. I think if he keeps up with the pace he's on, he's absolutely in the race. And and like not, I wrote about it not today. Not with what those Pac-12 quarterbacks are doing because they're also well, winning big. We'll see. We'll see how what happens when Penix plays Utah. Still, he's got USC. Still, there's some other games that could open that door wide open. And no, I, I mean I, I think I wrote about very today. Well in them. I wrote about today, Tom. I mean, the further we get from Boston College, that sure looks like an anomaly for FSU's defense and i think in in five there are other five games and five out of six games this season florida state's held their opponent under their season scoring average and season yards per play average and lsu i mean was way below their average over 40 a play a game and they had 17 in that game before so i mean you can say there was some weak oneiness to that i guess but it, you can't totally discredit what florida state did in that game for sure so a couple things to come back to here First, Keith, we're going to have Matthew clip that so we can pull it back out and we'll see. Um, I I'm hear prepared. you. There. I'm prepared. I don't I don't even under I know that the Heisman does regional balloting and I don't know enough about the way they count it. But some of the Pac-12 quarterbacks are going to cancel each other out from West region yeah. voters. And you could say the same thing about in the South with Jaden Daniels and Jordan and Drake. May. To me, you're going to have the Northeast of the U.S., and are they watching Pac-12 football more, or are they watching the SEC and the ACC more? I think, I mean, it seems weird, but that could be who determines the Heisman. Anyway, I'm not a voter. I don't know. Keith is still standing. He still fades out. You are, so you know. How yeah, does that I work? Am. Well, I, I just, I, I just get the. It's a very intense ballot process. I'm not allowed. I think I'm not allowed to say who I'm voting for. Actually, like, not that I've made up my mind yet by any means, but it's a pretty intense, like, double or triple authentication email you get. It's, uh, and yeah, I think they do have like a a certain amount per region. I this is my this will be my third time doing it. I got recruited when I was at the Democrat, and I think they just needed more people in Florida. It was that kind of thing. Gotcha. So, uh, 
note to self, in about six weeks, we'll press Kurt for who he voted for so he could lose his Heisman vote. Uh, and we'll use some on, of those front row no dollars that we've got, that, that front row no war chest we've got to buy that vote maybe. Going back to your point about the defense, Kurt, uh, Mike Norvell would never say it. We have no idea how many guys were really, truly sick against Boston College and how sick they were. And also, if you look at where the defense had its struggles this year, we got a six-game sample size now. Well, the biggest struggles were BC and Clemson. And you could say Clemson's obvious, but that was when Akeem Dent was out. And the one position we all agreed on at the start of the season that Florida State could least afford an injury was the safety position. And then they not only lost the safety, they lost the most experience. He started more games for that defense than anybody, I think, except maybe Deloach. Uh, and the point being, now he's not playing 60 snaps a game. Nobody is. But he's back, and it seems like the defense is starting to hit its stride. Am I making too much of that? No, I I, I want to see it, I will say. Before I totally – I think you're right. I do want to see it against a few better offenses. Nothing against Virginia Tech and Syracuse, but those aren't the offenses they're going to – threaten you the most that being said if florida state was doing what it did against boston college and busting coverages i mean it might not matter how good the offenses are syracuse and virginia tech could could take advantage of that so they've definitely uh i thought i mean i thought saturday was the best coverage game of the season i thought the secondary played especially well and the other thing they're doing guys and i'm sure akeem helps with this but um you know it was mentioned by coach fuller again on his monday press conference their communication there's a lot of checking and a lot of changes before the ball. We talk about an offense. We talk about a quarterback coming up, reading the defense, checking to a play. We don't really associate a defense checking in and out of things, but that's the game we're in right now. And, and Adam went, I thought, as, as eloquent and as boisterous, if that makes sense, that he's ever had about how happy he was with the communication of the secondary. Uh, I think that's a big part of it as well. Well, and, and keep in mind, I mean, Jared Verse has been impactful, but Jared Verse has two sacks. You know, he has not been putting up the gaudy numbers that you might think anchor a, de a strong defensive effort for Florida State. I mean, he's being impactful better than that. It's not a true indicator of his presence, but he's not having a 12-sack season that, like, would make you think that it's making that big a deal all around the entire defense. If you put Riley Leonard back there on one leg, Jared Verse is going to get a couple more sacks this weekend. Um, what you guys do if I – so I don't have the Duke depth chart in front of me. I know they had 17 returning starters, and I already told you that the whole offensive line is graduates or seniors. You, Riley Leonard, pro prospect, potentially he's not coming back. If, if you're Mike Elko, who worked for Dave Clawson, do you go the Dave Clawson route? because you like what you've got at Duke and rebuild it? Or do you say, I've got in here and in two years, we won 10 games, whatever they won last year, maybe 10 games this year and say, I'm going to cash in and go take an open job somewhere at a place I can compete. Um, Yeah. I, the thing is, I, I'm just, you're never going to be able to make the case to me that football is going to be number one at Duke, even if coach K is gone at wake. I think you can make the case football might, might be number one. I think it's about basketball, you know? I, so I think, I don't know. I, 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 I think Duke kind of has to figure out, I mean, how, are we willing to dip into the basketball budget a, a bit to keep this guy or, or are we not willing to make that sacrifice? How much is, is John Shire willing, willing to give? So I don't know. I mean, I think frankly, 
You're talking about a place that uh, could be open. We'll see how what the price of oil is. Texas A&M would probably not mind a coach about him right about now. I mean, Michigan State's open. Northwestern's open. He, he There are some great jobs that it seems like are going to be open, maybe in a few others I haven't mentioned. So I think he'll have opportunities. He's got to figure that out, and I think Duke has to figure that out. Tommy, put your seatbelt on because you're not going to believe what I'm fixing to say. Uh, Kurt, you don't know me well enough to know that this is going to be unusual. But the two metrics that, if we agree, are very important, Duke doesn't have. The size of their overall athletic budget and their capacity of their stadium. You're not going to be consistently uber successful if your budget is in the lower third of the conference and you you have 45, maybe 50,000 people show up at a game. That's just not the way the world works today, unfortunately. I don't know him personally, so I can't speak to is, – is he would he rather coach at the Duke level? I mean, you're coaching a different caliber student-athlete. Uh Coaching a different caliber student too, quite candidly, right? So I can't speak to that for him. But that he's going to have that opportunity though after this year for sure. I think it, you're correct. Like, yeah, I did talk to somebody who kind of just they said it's not that he wants to be at a Duke level. I think he he does care about fit. He's not just going to go to best job available no no matter what. He 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 is somebody who will take the effort to say like, do I think I fit in here? Yeah, well, that as they all should. They're all making enough money, even as coordinators. That that same, True. what you just said, applies to Alex Atkins to me, and we're not going to dive into that now. But he's making a very good living, and he can be plenty picky about what opportunity he gets uh, when when his time comes to be a head coach. All right, Kurt, we'll let you get going on that. Uh, it, it's an actual uh, big game week. It's exciting. Chance uh, for a lot more eyeballs again. Well, Florida State gets eyeballs every week, but uh, this this will be a well watched game, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Kurt, too. All right, Kurt Weiler, our Osceola Insider. We'll take a break, come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Now back to Tom and Keith. We are back. We got a Saturday night under the lights, Florida State and Duke. Going to be a uh, it's a loud and proud crowd. I have Keith. You know, you Seminole Saturday nights were a thing back in your day, and they still are. So it, it's going to be a fired up Doe Campbell Stadium this week. Well, yeah, but we used to kick at seven, not seven thirty. So uh, you know, we've got that going for us. You'd be happy <laughs> it's not eight, okay? FSU <laughs> on ABC again. It's be it's pretty much it's like Florida State is a weekly series now on ABC six out of seven games this season they've been on ABC so we'll take it it'll it'll do another this will do a, a really nice number I would think uh, from a rating standpoint as FSU takes on Duke uh, Keith you know this from our broadcast days I'll let you share for our listeners sake and I've not been to Duke I guess since 2017 which was Jimbo's last year that's the last time FSU played there but they've sunk a lot of dollars into their press box and their whole state. I think a lot of dollars. I think they put a hundred million bucks into it. They removed the track that used to be around the field. They've they've got a football only facility. I think all these all these things. Bless you, by the way. Folks couldn't hear that, but Keith was he was scrambling for the mute button while he was having a sneezing fit there. I did my best. I tried. But one thing they did not change, Keith, 
is the visitor's locker room is still three bus connections this direction and then walk another 100 yards, call an Uber, and then when the Uber gets you to the end of the line, see if a cab can get you the rest of the way. See, I'm thinking we should take the visitor's locker room at Dope Campbell when Duke comes in Saturday, and we should close it. And we should make them go to Tully Gym, and their locker room should be the old men's basketball uh, at Tully Gym. That, that's even a shorter walk than what opponents have to do when they travel to, 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 to Durham. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and, of course, the other part of it, and we talked about this with Kurt, you know, this will be by far the largest crowd that Duke has played in front of. And when it comes to communication and concentration and thought process, um, you know, if you've not been in those environments before, it does have an effect. So early on, if, if Duke offensively has some uh, false starts, uh, those types of things, that'll be an indication that, you know, it's going to take them a while to get used to this Dope Campbell Stadium crowd. I've got a good story I want to share, but I'll come back to that before we finish. Well, to your point, this is where I think the quarterback makes a big difference and where I can see if I'm Duke, okay, Riley's really not going to be a threat in the in the running game, but he's so experienced. We know he can get us into the right checks and handle this, that we're going to run him out there versus a guy that's making his second start and he's never seen anything like this. That's something that Mike Elko and company have to, the offensive coordinator at Duke, by the way, used to work with Mike Norvell. So that's, that's a little plot within the plot in terms of Norvell going, well, I think Kevin's going to do this and Kevin John's going, you know, relying to Mike Elko. Well, this is what Norvell likes to do in this situation. That happens well, any week you play because it's a small coaching fraternity, but feels magnified right here. Well, you can certainly tell, and, and I was um, aware of the respect and the um, uh, value that Adam Fuller has in Elko even though they only coached one year together at Richmond, um, you, you can tell the respect. And, and when you see Coach Norvell talking about uh, guys that he's coached with, I mean, as much as the Florida State's offensive, uh, excuse me, uh, assistant staff uh, talks about how everything starts at the top. Coach Papushas was talking about this on Monday, that, that, you know, everything starts at the top. The way that Coach Norvell patterns himself, conducts himself, the intensity that he brings to everything that he does has a triple trickle down effect. Well, Elko coach Elko, though you and I don't know him, he evidently exudes that same type of thing. But then when you actually have to put it together and particularly you mentioned the backup quarterback with only two starts and you've got to do that in front of 80,000 people, it may take two or three or four series for him to get used to it. Florida state needs to take advantage of that early. Yeah, to that point, I'm in favor of him being a little aggressive early on, although Duke's, Duke's bread and butter is really running the football. But uh, whatever you can do to rattle. All right, let me. we got a couple minutes. Let me, let me tell this story, Keith. You've heard it before. But uh, the first ever game that I broadcast as a sideline reporter was with you and Paul Kennedy, and it was at Duke in 1997, back in the pay-per-view days. This was before primetime Knowles. It was when Sunshine Network would televise a couple games a year They'd have to be pay-per-view, and they'd have to kick off at night. Those were the rules, 7 o'clock. So Dan Kendra was on the team at this time. And for – I don't know that we have 
super younger listeners, Keith, and I think we skew pretty much to our age range and folks that have been Seminoles for a while. But for those who don't know Dan Kendra or remember him, he was Tim Tebow before Tim Tebow. He was the recruit of all recruits. And if the internet would have existed in social media, I can only imagine how big he would have been before he even got to campus. Or how he rich he would have been with NIL before NIL ever existed. Exactly. Oh, I mean, he'd, yeah. GNC, fitness, he'd be selling everything, right? I mean, this guy was put together. Anyway, Thad Busby was the starter, but you're playing at Duke, so you know Dan Kendra is going to get in the game at some point, right? It was early in his career, before he blew out his knee, which was the following spring. So I'm I'm on the sideline, and I notice all of a sudden that Kendra leaves the sideline, like in the middle of the second quarter, and I'm like, well, that's, that's odd. Like, I, I thought he was hurt. So I start following him to see where he's going, right? And he leaves the end zone, and now he has entered the area where you have to take three bus connections and Uber and cab to get to the visitor's locker room. And uh, he goes behind the hedges there. He's in view from the stadium. And this is where I realized that Dan's not hurt. He's just relieving himself and taking a leak and didn't feel like walking all the way to the visitor's locker room. So he did so right on the other side of the hedges. And that was my big first breaking story as a sideline reporter for Sunshine Network. And we were happy to have you report it. I don't think I reported it. Uh, no, I'm pretty. I'm, I'm pretty sure I did not share that detail. Uh, although it was uh, pay per view, so I guess everything was in. You know, could have gone right. Oh, uh, the the stories we could tell uh, if 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 we were on the Howard Stern show. Yes, exactly. All right, uh, we, we're out of time, and uh, folks, you're not paying for this, so we'll. Uh, you know, you're not going to get any more money's worth. We'll just finish for now. And uh, we'll do this again next week. Keith, enjoy the game this weekend. You bet. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time on Front Row Knowles.